You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open up our Bibles to our scripture reading for this morning. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 1. We also find the text for the sermon in this reading. The text is going to be verses 18 to 21. So Matthew 1, verse 1, listen to God's Word. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were fourteen generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. And now we come to our text, which runs up to verse 21. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. 
The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, I don't know if you saw it, but a recent issue of Time magazine had a lengthy feature on Joseph. The author of the article, David Van Biema, introduces his article with these words. He says, Scripture downplays even his Christmas role. But Joseph's relationship with Jesus has inspired generations to explore his hidden virtues. The article goes on to survey how Joseph has been viewed down through the ages. At certain points, he was regarded as the, the chaste caretaker. At other times, people looked at him as the alienated cuckold. And at other times, as the adoring protector. And today, it seems there's a renewed fascination with Joseph. Three recent books give a lot of attention to Joseph, including one by Jerry Jenkins. He's a co-author of the Left Behind series of books. Now, Jerry Jenkins describes himself as being Joseph's cheerleader. And like the other books about Joseph, Jerry Jenkins doesn't hesitate to fill in the gaps that are left by Scripture, of course, which there are many. Now, this article in Time is interesting, but more than that, it reveals, it points to a certain way of thinking. Time magazine acknowledges that the Bible doesn't say a lot about Joseph. Jerry Jenkins and the other authors mentioned, they also acknowledge that the Bible itself is relatively quiet about him. doesn't even mention when he died, for instance. The strange thing is that no one really asks the question, why? Is there a reason that Matthew and Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, why they decided to put Joseph in the background, in a supporting role, so to speak? Well, there is a good reason. The reason is that Joseph is not the hero of the story. The reason is that Joseph is not the main character in the events surrounding the conception and birth of the Lord Jesus, and if you want to take it further, also the life of the Lord Jesus. This is God's story, not Joseph's. We read the verses of our text, for instance, and we have to ask the right questions. We don't read our, our text and then ask, well, now what can we learn about Joseph from these words? Instead, we ask, what can we learn about God? What can we learn about the way that God works by looking at this text? Because after all, the Bible is not about giving us character studies of different people. The Bible is God's story. The story of how God redeems fallen man through Jesus Christ. Of course, there is a human side to that. We're involved with it, but also the characters in the Bible stories themselves. And and we're going to look at that in a minute. But even the human side comes with a knowledge that God is at work in it. God is at work through it. 
And it's this perspective, this God-centered perspective that we need when we consider what Matthew writes about in our text this morning on this special day when we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And so I preach to you God's word this morning with this theme. By his mighty hand, God provides a foster father for the Lord Jesus. And we'll see, first of all, Joseph's hesitation, and then second, God's mandate. Well, verse 18 of our text right away lays before us the fact that this is the story of the birth of the Savior. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. But there is a human element that naturally comes into the picture as well. This human element has already been emphasized with the lengthy genealogy that we read in the first part of chapter 1. There can be no question that human beings are deeply involved with the birth of Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 1 describes him as being the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Joseph, too, was mentioned, along with Mary, in verse 16. He's described there as being Mary's husband. Then we have verse 18. And we might have some confusion. Verse 18 says that his mother was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, some people have explained this to mean that, in our terms, they were engaged But this idea of being pledged to marry someone, this was more than engagement. In fact, this was almost the same as getting married, except that Joseph and Mary didn't live together yet. They didn't have sexual relations. These things would would happen later on, typically after a year of being pledged, or as older translations put it, being betrothed to one another. But during this time of betrothal, which would last usually about a year, if one of the couple was to make advances on on someone else, another man or another woman, that would be considered adulterous. In fact, betrothals were so binding that if a woman's fiancé passed away, she was considered to be a widow. And otherwise, the only way a betrothal could be ended was with a divorce. So this whole system is something completely different from what we know in our culture, with our customs. And that custom of betrothal is the reason why Matthew adds those words, but before they came together. So before they came to live as husband and wife, Mary was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. In a mysterious way, through the power of the Spirit working in her body, Mary had conceived a child. And we needn't try to understand how this happened. The important thing is that it did happen. Mary knew it happened. Because we read in Luke that the angel Gabriel had told her. But then there's the question of whether or not Joseph knew. The text itself here in Matthew is ambiguous. It says she was found to be with child. That way of putting it could mean that Joseph knew. But there's no way of knowing for sure from the text. We do know that Mary and Joseph could have spent time together privately before they're living together as a married couple. This wasn't uncommon in Palestine at the time. 
though it was apparently more rare in the local area of Galilee. So while we cannot say for sure that Joseph knew that Mary was pregnant with a child conceived through the Holy Spirit, there is a possibility of that. But at any rate, there was a problem. As it became more and more evident that Mary was pregnant, she would be increasingly looked down upon. People might think that she had been fooling around behind Joseph's back, especially if they hadn't spent any time together privately as a couple. And it was for this reason that Joseph hesitated about becoming her husband in the full sense. He didn't want to have shame heaped upon Mary. And rather than having that happen, Joseph decided that he would divorce her quietly. There would be no big scene, there would be no big commotion, very few people would know about it. There would have to be two witnesses for a legal divorce, of course, according to the law. But Joseph probably had something in mind that would make sure that this would all be done quietly. Sure, Mary would would still be pregnant, but at least she would not have to be subjected to a public trial for adultery. That's what verse 19 is telling us when it says that Joseph was a righteous man and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. That means that Joseph was a man who was loyal. He was loyal in his commitment to God. Joseph was a man who was also loyal to Mary. He was a man who wanted to do the right thing for her. And it's in this way that we see God at work, even in Joseph's hesitation. Though this is several decades before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was actively working in the hearts and lives of God's people. The Holy Spirit was in Joseph's life, Joseph's heart, giving him the desire, giving him the strength, enabling him to live righteously. By the power of the Spirit, Joseph wanted to do good for Mary. He loved his bride. And God was going to use this love. He was going to use this love to keep a family together. To keep this family together for the sake of the Lord Jesus, for the sake of his work here on earth, and ultimately for our sakes. God was going to use this love of Joseph to crush the head of the serpent, to fulfill the promise. Let's see how this unfolds in our second point about God's mandate. So Joseph had this hesitation, and it came from good motives. But God was not going to let him carry out his plan. Joseph had been thinking long and hard about what what he was going to do when, when God sent an angel to him. Matthew tells us that it was an angel of the Lord. And when he tells us this, our thoughts go back to the Old Testament, when an angel of the Lord would also appear to God's people on important occasions. This time, an angel of the Lord appears in a dream. The angel tells Joseph that he shouldn't be afraid to take Mary into his home, shouldn't be afraid to at least visibly complete the marriage. Now, the NIV says, do not be afraid. The angel says to Joseph, do not be afraid. But actually, we could translate that also as do not hesitate. Because, sure, there may have been an element of fear 
in Joseph's decision-making, he was afraid that Mary would be publicly humiliated. But this fear led him to hesitate. And so there are those two elements working together, fear and hesitation. And the angel tells Joseph that God wants him to take both those things and put them aside, get them out of the way. Joseph himself wants to get out of the way. But God won't let him. Then the angel assures, or perhaps you could say reassures, Joseph that the child has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. As a result, there is nothing to worry about. There's no reason for fear. There's no reason for hesitation. In fact, the angel says everything is going to work out wonderfully because the baby inside Mary, growing inside her, is the Savior. He is Jesus. He is the one who has been promised, the one who will save his people from their sins. And as you may remember, the Greek name Jesus is derived from the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua means the Lord saves. And when God's people heard this name, they were reminded of how Joshua brought the people into the promised land. Through Joshua, God brought salvation to Israel. Now through this baby, God is going to bring the ultimate fulfillment of salvation. The culmination of all the Old Testament prophecies, promises, pictures. And Matthew himself points to that with the mention of the prophecy of Isaiah 7, 14, in verse 23, right after our text. This baby is to be the Savior. He's our Savior. He's the one who saves us from our sins. That means that He saves us from feeling guilty about our sins. He saves us from the filthiness of our sins, from sin's pollution. He saves us from the power of our sins. And He saves us from the punishment of sin, from an eternity spent in hell under God's wrath. Now our text talks only about the negative side, that we're saved from something, from sin. But the positive is also implied here. Because you can't be saved from something without also being saved for something. And here we're saved for things like true happiness. We're saved for the the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We're saved for freedom, for unspeakable joy, for answered prayers, for the assurance of salvation. And brothers and sisters, there is so much more. Jesus is truly and in every way the Savior from sin. And when Joseph heard this good news, then he knew the right thing to do. And he did it. We read about that in verses 24 and 25 at the end of the chapter. Through the power of the Spirit working in his heart, he did what was mandated by God. He became the foster father for the Lord Jesus. And in this we see God's mighty hand leading the direction of history. We see God's mighty hand fulfilling all his promises about the salvation of his people. About our salvation. For you see, it was commonly thought that Joseph was the biological father of Jesus. 
Luke 3.23 tells us that he was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. And even though he really was not the biological father, he was Jesus' adoptive father. That legally put Jesus in the line of David. That's why the angel addresses Joseph as a son of David. It says that in verse 20. Joseph, son of David. The genealogy in the first part of the chapter is also there to emphasize Christ's royal descent. The Savior has a royal history, a royal family tree. He is a king. But God used Joseph for more than just securing Christ's royal lineage on earth. He also used Joseph to protect the Lord Jesus from being labeled, from being labeled an illegitimate child. If people had thought that about the Savior, and you know what kind of words they use about illegitimate children, if people had thought that he was such, they would never have listened to him when he was older. For this reason, God led Joseph to become the foster father for Christ. Joseph was going to be the one who would name this baby. And that act of naming, giving a name to a child, that established Joseph's legal status as the earthly father of Jesus. And what that did was protect the reputation of the Lord Jesus. That gave him a standing for his later ministry. What we see here is God's wise control over all that happens. In all of this, we see God's providence at work for the good of his people, also for our good. He controls everything. He is almighty God. But he does this because he loves us, because he cares for us deeply. And here too, we can see the good news in our text this morning. This text also teaches us about the origin of the Lord Jesus. On the one hand, he was and he is, always will be, true God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that was entirely necessary for our salvation. If he had been conceived by an earthly father, even by a man such as Joseph, he would have inherited our sinful nature. He would be a sinner. And so his holy conception in the Virgin Mary shows us that apart from God's work in us, we are ugly sinners who are repulsive to a holy God. What happened with the conception of Christ points us to our lost condition. God had to do a, a mysterious miracle to bring Christ into the world. He couldn't do it any other way, for only the Son of God could bear the wrath of God against our sins. Only a perfect, sinless man could pay for our sins. And of course, there are no sinless men. So God came in the flesh to do what no mere man could do, bring us salvation. There was no other way. So on the one hand, true God. But on the other hand, we also know that our Savior was and is true man. He took our human flesh from his mother. His humiliation began from the moment he was conceived. God the Son became one of us. He took on our human flesh with all its weaknesses. 
He took on a human existence with all its complexities, all its problems. His incarnation and birth, his becoming true man, assures us that the same sinful human nature which has sinned has paid for sin. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news for today. The day on which we celebrate the birth of our Savior. This day is not about a cute little baby in a manger. This day is not about a man named Joseph who we can make into a hero through some creative writing. This day is about how ugly we are in our sins. This day is about how badly we need to be saved from our sins. This day is about how God has saved us from our sins by sending the Lord Jesus to be conceived, to be born on this earth. It's all about who God is and what He has done for us. And why did He do it? So that His people would more and more praise Him until the day His Son comes back a second time. May that day come quickly. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.